0: Father, we're grateful to you today for the privilege of proclaiming your word. We pray that you would speak to us, for we, your people, listen now to hear a word from on high. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to turn your attention today to the third chapter of the book of Daniel. We'll be looking at verses 19 through verse 25. I'm going to read now just uh, several of those verses, but we'll cover others uh, during the sermon. Verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fearing, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And then verse 25, Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I want to preach today with the help of the Holy Spirit from the subject Facing the Fire. Facing the Fire. The third chapter of Daniel begins with King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon making a huge image of gold erecting it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon and then calling for all of the officials to come to this great dedication of this image. The king's spokesperson gave the command that at the sound of the the horn, the flute, the zither, the the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kind of music, uh, you must bow down and worship this image of gold. You have no choice. Uh, This is the king's uh, decree. You must bow down. And then the ultimatum came. If you don't bow down, you will be thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace. When the music was played, verse uh, 7 explains that all of the people, the nations of the men of every language fell down and began to worship this image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. That is, all the people fell down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As it turned out, There were some astrologers, we know them today as fortune tellers, uh, mystics or psychics who had uh, taken issue with the fact that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had come to Babylon as slaves. But now they were in positions that put them over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So it was these Babylonian haters went to King Nebuchadnezzar with this message in verse 12. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of, of Babylon. These, these Jews are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And King, they pay no attention to your command. Not only do they not pay attention to your command, they... Refuse to serve your gods or worship the image you have set up. Now the king is furious. His authority is challenged. His ability to control is there and his his power is publicly defied. Why? Because three faithful followers of the true and living God refused his command to bow down and worship an idol. So what the king did next is what the king did best. What this king did best was fly into angry tirades accompanied by threats and acts of violence. So he threatens to have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into this fiery furnace. Listen to King Nebuchadnezzar's commands in verse 15 of the text. Now when you hear the sound of the horn here we go again, the flute the zither, the lyre, the the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to bow down and worship the image I made, very good. Now here's what the king is saying. If you're willing and ready to Compromise your convictions. If you're willing to get in line, go along, just to get along, and if you're willing to sell out in order to keep your lucrative positions, then very good. I can work with that. But if you do not worship the image, you will be thrown underscore immediately. There will be no court. There will be uh, no rebuttal. You will be thrown immediately into the blazing, fiery furnace. And then watch his arrogance. King Nebuchadnezzar says, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, the ball was in the court of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego what they did next provides for us three valuable lessons that will help us effectively face the fires in our lives. Lesson one. In order to effectively face the fires of life, we must have confidence in God's power. Let me say that again. If you are going to effectively face the fires in life, and fires are a part of life, if you're going to effectively face the fires of life, if I'm going to effectively face the fires of life, we must have complete confidence in the power of God. No, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted completely in the power of God. Of God. They never wavered in their dependence on the power of God. In response to King Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar's arrogant declaration that no God, no God could rescue them from his hand, they said in verses 16 and 17, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able. That's confidence, y'all, in the power of God. They're saying if you do what you do, if you throw us in, the God we serve is able. He's powerful enough. In fact, he is totally Powerful. He's powerful. He, he's able. You see, these men were totally and undeniably confident that the God in whom they placed their hopes and and dreams was able to deliver them from harm's way. They relied on the power of God. They respected the power of God. They revered the power of God. They were aware of the creation story. Watch this. They understood that the cosmos was void and that the power of God's speech the power of God's speech made something out of nothing. They knew the story of how the Pharaoh of Egypt sought to keep Moses and the children of Israel under his oppressive power, but God made a way out of no way and allowed them to cross the Red Sea on dry ground. They understood the magnitude of God's power. Here we go, y'all. Do you understand and have confidence in the magnitude of God's power? They remembered. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remembered how their great God took Joseph. Then they knew the story. They knew their, their history. They knew their biblical history. They knew how the great God, their all-powerful God, took Joseph from the pit to Pontius' house, to the prison, and to the palace, and to the number two position. They understood that they were serving an all-powerful God. They were well aware of how Joshua and Caleb and the army of Israel were led by God into the promised land. They were acquainted with the account of how God used a Jewish girl named Hadesa, made her Queen Esther, and then used her to save his people from annihilation. They understood the power of God. Surely they knew King Nebuchadnezzar had some power. But they relished the reality that their God had all power. They knew that this earthly king, this mortal man, they were not denying that. They knew that he had some power, but they had come to understand that their king, the king of kings, God of all gods, had all power. And they rested in that reality. Now, if you and I are going to effectively face fires of our own, we must exercise complete confidence in the person, the presence, and the power of our risen Savior, Lord, our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must rest assured that God is able, get this, y'all, God is able to carry us through every trial, every test, every trouble and every temptation that besets us. And don't miss this. God is able to take us through sickness and God is able to take us through death where every true believer, every follower of Jesus Christ will hear him say, well done. The write of Jude 24 and 25 puts it like this. Now unto him that is able, talking about the power of God, he's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great power, exceeding great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty. Watch this, Jude says, Dominion and power, both now and forever. If we're going to effectively face the fires of life, we must have confidence in the omnipotence of God, the all-powerful nature of God to carry us through. But second, lesson two, if we're going to effectively face the fires of life, we must embrace God's prerogative. Embracing God's prerogative means that you and I, unquestionably, yield ourselves to the right that God has to work His will in our lives in any way, shape, form, or fashion He desires to do so. Embracing God's prerogative means that we acknowledge We acknowledge that God is the potter and we are the clay. We acknowledge that God is running things, not us. Isaiah 45 and 9 states the the matter clearly by posing this question, and I believe it's a rhetorical question. Does the clay, listen y'all, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Or, as the New Living Translation records, does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong? Certainly the answers are resounding no. Rather, it's the potter's choice to form the clay as it pleases him. Y'all, that's God's prerogative. Notice the case of the young rich ruler in Mark 10. 17 through 22 he wanted to follow Jesus or so he says but also he wanted to keep all of his stuff the Bible says that he was wealthy he had a lot of stuff he had a lot of toys he wanted to keep it all. So when Jesus told him to sell all his stuff and to give the money to the poor and then come follow me the young man went away. Now mind you, it's it's Jesus' prerogative to choose the standard of followership. It's the young rich ruler's responsibility to yield to the prerogative, that is, to yield to the, the will, the way of Jesus. Thus it was not the person of Jesus that he had a problem with. Rather, it was the prerogative of Jesus that he had a problem with. And so it is like many in modern day society who have no problem with the person of of Jesus. They have no problem with embracing the truth that Jesus suffered and bled and died on the cross to save sinners. And he rose victoriously from the grave with all power given unto him. However, the problem surfaces for many people when Jesus chooses to work in their lives in ways that make them uneasy. You see, it's how Jesus chooses to nudge us out of our comfort zone that can cause us to squirm. It's how he pushes us beyond familiar territory that tempts us to resist him. It's the tightrope he challenges us to walk that causes us to rebuff his way if we aren't careful. It's a replacement of, of norms with abnormals, that entice us to whine and complain. But not so with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They embrace the prerogative of God. Verse 18 details the depth, the depth of their Embracement of God's sovereign will, God's sovereign plan, God's sovereign prerogative for their lives. Watch this. Watch how they embrace it. They said, but even if he does not. I mean, they just said to the king, now, now, if you put us in this fight, the God we serve is able to deliver us, it's his prerogative to deliver us, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. In other words, O king, it's God's prerogative. Is God's prerogative, and he can do what he wants to do. Y'all, if we're going to face the fires of life effectively, we've got to come to that, that point that it is God's prerogative. It's in God's hand. He can do what he wants to do. They're going to say, in other words, to the king, and no matter how God chooses to work this thing out, no matter how God chooses to work it out, it's all right with us. If he delivers us, it's all right. And if the fire consumes us, it's still all right. Because no matter which way God decides to go, we still belong to him. So we trust him with our lives totally. We trust him completely. So here's where the rubber meets the road if we're going to effectively face the fires of COVID-19, if we're going to effectively face the fires of social injustice and social unrest, if we're going to be able as believers in Jesus Christ, as church, as the church, to effectively face the fires of a failing economy, We're going to face the fires of sickness and the fires of death among our church family and among our families and among our friends. We must bend our wills to the will of God and embrace God's prerogative, not fight God's prerogative, but embrace God's prerogative. We must wholeheartedly say, God, whatever your goals are, God, whatever your objectives are, God, I'm all in. For as long as it takes and as far as you want to go, I'm all in. If you need some encouragement to go there, if you need some encouragement to get to the point of where you can Embrace God's prerogative. If you need some examples of those who embrace God's prerogative, let me share just a few with you. Job, you know the story. Job embraced the prerogative of God in Job 13 and 15. Listen, after all Job had been through, after suffering the loss of his family, his wealth, after being sick so long, Job said, after all he was going through, he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job is saying, God is your prerogative. Do what you want to do. Queen Esther embraced the prerogative of God, saying in Esther 4:16, I'll go to the king on behalf of my people. She told her cousin Mordecai, I'll go, send a message. Mordecai, I'll go. Haman wants to to annihilate us, and and I'm in this position. I'll go to the king, and if I perish, I'll perish, Esther says. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to take the right stand, and if I perish, I'll perish. It's God's prerogative. Whether I live or whether I die, I trust him completely. Surely the greatest display of embracing the prerogative of God was uttered from the lips of Jesus as he agonized there in the garden of Gethsemane Matthew 26 and 39 because Jesus said oh my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me watch the prerogative here nevertheless add not as I will but as Thou will Jesus yielded to the prerogative to the will to you today that if we're going to effectively face the fires we must embrace God's prerogative and trust God to do whatever it is he wants to do and know that whatever he does it will be for his glory and in our best interest lesson three if we're going to effectively face the fires if we're going to uh, affect the face the fires of life, we must embrace God's perspective. You see, we need to be at ease. We need to be calm and relaxed about God's point of view. Uh, you see, from God's point of view, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego belong to him. As a result of belonging to him, God's perspective on the matter was for them to worship him and worship him him alone. That's what he meant in Exodus 20 and 23 when he said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's God's perspective that his people worship him and worship him alone. We know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were comfortable with God's perspective because in verse 18, they said to the king, okay, oh, king, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were comfortable with God's perspective, they took a stand. And because, they, because they were satisfied with God's point of view, they took the proper action. Because they were content with God's outlook on life for them, they made the right choices. And because they made the right choices, God took care of them even while they were in the fire. Now go back to verses 24 and 25 of the text which read, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his his feet in amazement. And then he asked his advisors. Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and under harm. And the force looks like the son of God what King Nebuchadnezzar saw to his utter amazement was that God never ever under any circumstances abandoned those who place their trust in him we must understand that from God's perspective he always takes care of his own and he never ever under any circumstances abandoned those who place their trust in Him. Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church family, we are placing our trust in God, and we know that God will never abandon us. Those who have cast their life with Christ, those who have received Him, understand that He never abandons His own. Here's the good news. Here's the shout. Here's the takeaway although there will be mountains and valleys, although there will be sunshine and rain, although there will be congratulations and condolences, one thing for sure God's people can count on is that he will always be right there with us us, guarding us, guiding us, and giving us his best, even while we go through the fire, even while we go through the challenges of life, God will be right there, for he never leaves us, never forsakes us. One unknown 19th century hymn writer wrote these words, and with them, I'll close. This hymn writer wrote words that have traveled down the corridors of time. They have blessed us. They have helped us. They help us face the fires of life. Here they are, y'all. The hymn writer wrote, I've seen the lightning flashing. And i heard the thunder roll. i felt sin breakers dashing which tried to conquer my soul. But I heard my Savior's voice. He bids me still fight on, for he promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. We have that promise, y'all. As we go from day to day, as we get up in the morning, as we put one foot in front of the other, as you watch the news, hear the news, the disturbance, me today, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior we want to invite you to do that maybe you want to pray something like this, Father I know I'm a sinner and today I want to receive Jesus into my life, come into my life Lord Jesus and save me, now may the Lord bless you and keep you, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you, may the Lord always be gracious unto you and grant you his peace in Jesus name, Amen